Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving, I don't know if you're still supposed to say it or not, but anyway. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Wasn't last Sunday awesome? I mean, we just had such a great time together in worship and then our fellowship together, eating together. We had a great crowd and food was really good. And, and I just want to say a huge thank you uh, to all the people who served so tirelessly to help us get that done. Uh, amen. Yeah, let's give them a hand. All the people that, that, that helped us from D-List, all the people who made food and, and organized the, the volunteers and stuff, man, really appreciate your help there. I also want to just say a big thank you to Jeff Franks, uh, who filled in for me a couple of weeks ago and did a fabulous, brilliant job talking about uh, fear and fear not. It was just a great message. If you didn't hear that, go back and listen to that one. Um, so grateful for our family. Even as we were singing this last song, I just found myself thinking about many of you and praying for you and, and just grateful for you, grateful that you're here and that God has brought us together as the body of Christ to learn and grow and be who he wants us to be. So thank you for being here today with us. We've been in a series talking about multiplication and the way we are going to multiply is through discipleship, right? We, we know what that is. In fact, when you came through this door in the back, I mentioned this before, uh, our mission statement's back there. It says, we exist to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. So we exist to love God. When we love God, that is what it means to be a disciple. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be a disciple of Jesus is to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's what a disciple means. But we also have back there that we, we want to become authentic disciples. We want to fake it. We want it to be real in us. And we also want to make disciples. Because see, here's the deal with discipleship. It's not enough that we're learning and we're growing. I'm so glad you're here today. It's wonderful that you're here. But it's not enough just that we are learning who we need to be. See, God has also called us to go and make disciples. It's not enough just for us to learn. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it all in. I'm learning. At some point, I'll go. No, we need to go. We need to, to learn and go. It's, it's kind of a both-and situation. I think this is a, a, a cycle that we've missed. This is a cyclical nature of, of discipleship called multiplication that we've missed in the church. We, we've said, it's, it's okay just for me to learn. It's okay for me to come. It's, it's okay for me to, to, to be here and, and grow. And then when it comes to going and making disciples, we go, not me. Right? We do it all the time. But it has to continue. It has to be a cycle that keeps moving. In fact, you know, we've, we've studied the book of Acts. Uh, and, and I've talked about these six summary statements several times throughout the book of Acts. I'm going to put them up on the screen just in case if it reminds you of them. Uh, the Acts starts with Acts chapter 6. Uh, and goes through these different um, chapters throughout the, the, the book. We're not going to read them, but I want to just show you those verses. Every one of those verses talk about multiplication. Every single one of those summary statements from Luke in the book of Acts are about multiplication. They're about expansion and establishment of the church. Every single one. As if Luke is trying to tell us through the book of Acts, this is what I'm trying to show you through this whole amazing book. It's not just a history of the church. It's not just a, a, a list of these amazing miracles that have happened. This is 
what God's heart is for his word and for his people, that they take the word of God to the world. This is a history. This is a, a telling of what God has done in the multiplication of his people. Because we, we can't just be content in our own hearts and our own lives to be disciples. We have to make disciples. Some of you have been in church so long, you hear a phrase like that, and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say it again. I want you to hear me. It's imperative. It's not enough to be a disciple. You must make disciples. It's not that we should make disciples. It's that we must make disciples. Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that's how I always remember it, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is talking about a, a four-generation aspect of multiplication. From Paul to Timothy, right? From Timothy to faithful men. From faithful men to others. This is four generations of disciple-making. In fact, uh, if you ever study this, this thing, and we'll be talking more about it, called the disciple-making movement, we are praying that God would cause a disciple-making movement to happen at South City to happen in Little Rock, to happen in Central Arkansas, where we're making disciples because we are disciples, and that's what he's called us to do. And they say that you can't even call something a disciple-making movement, a, a DMM or a disciple-making movement, until there's four generations of disciples that have been made. It's important that we keep this going. There's a cyclical nature that we have to get. It's our responsibility. If you know Christ, it's your responsibility. Right? You've heard me say this. If you're saved, you're sent. You're going, yeah, you've said that a few times. That's because I want you to remember it. In fact, I want to mention a few things that I've mentioned already today. If you have your Bibles, you can look back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I want to hit this verse again just because it's so important for us to see this and know this as believers in Jesus. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're saved, you're new. You're a new creation. Things have changed in your heart. You're a different person, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. You hear that? Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you feel the same thing I feel when you, when you read that, that he's entrusted to us this message of reconciliation? He didn't entrust them, whoever they are. That's what we do. Well, somebody else will go. The preacher will go, the elders will go, the leaders, city group leaders, other people, surely not me. Nope. If you know Jesus, it's you. God has given you the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, and he's entrusted you with this responsibility to go. We must go. We represent Christ. So the question is, who's going to go? Who's going to go to a lost and dying world? It's, it's got to be us. It has to be us. 
some of us say, listen, I, <laughs> I just, I've got a long way to go. I'm not sure I know everything I need to know to, to do what you're talking about. I mean, I feel like I need to know a whole lot of things, right? That's not what the woman at the well said. Can I remind you of that story? Here's Jesus, a Jew. Jews aren't supposed to really be in Samaria. He's in Samaria. He's uh, at this well. This woman is drawing water, and she's already looking at him funny like, you're a Jew and you're not supposed to be here. So Jesus says, hey, could you give me something to drink? And she's like, why don't you have something to get your own self something to drink? I mean, it's, it's a very kind of tense conversation with a lot of prejudice and bias on her part. Of course, not on Jesus' part. And Jesus begins to share with her who she is, who she really is, the mistakes she's made, the sin in her life, the brokenness of her life. And she starts to go, wait a minute, how do you know that? And then for the first time, Jesus reveals to someone, this woman, that he is the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? That he would choose this moment, that he would choose this woman and this, this spot, this moment, to say, I am he, I am the Messiah. Did she then go to seminary before she went back to town? Did she then finish her college Bible degree? Did she finish her EE course? No. She ran back to town and she said, you gotta come see this guy. He's told me everything about my life. Could he be the Messiah? What's going on? How is it that she can just hear a little bit of, of this from Jesus and go back and all of a sudden be a witness to the whole town? The town comes out, who knows what kind of a revival begins in Samaria because of this woman's realization of who Jesus is. We make so many excuses about being ready and I don't know enough, but can I just tell you this morning, you don't have to be a theologian to tell your story of what God has done in you. You don't. You don't have to have a seminary degree to tell somebody about how good our God is and what he's done in you. And yet we, we don't share it because we feel like we don't know enough. Do you remember who you were? Do you remember the sin in your life and the struggle in your life? Do you remember who you are? Some of you may look into your heart and say, well, honestly, there's not a whole lot of change. I would be concerned if I were you. Because in that verse it says, let me repeat it to you. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. There ought to be change in your life. There ought to be something different. The old ought to be passed away and the new come. Not that we don't still struggle and we don't still make mistakes. Of course we do. But there ought to be a change in your heart. The writer of this book that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, turning everyday, uh, everyday conversations into gospel conversations, says this, God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die the death we deserve, and to be raised to life again, proving he is who he said he is and can do what he says he can do. Jesus came to forgive our sins. When we repent and believe in him, he gives us supernatural power to recover and pursue God's design. Then Jesus, watch this, sends us right back out into a broken world. He sends us right back out into a broken world to tell other people how to find their way out of brokenness. You don't have to be a theologian, friend. 
You just got to share your story. We've talked about this. There is no plan B. Many of us are so wrapped up in our own lives and our own dreams and our own finances and our own jobs and our own families and our own stuff that we forget that this is the purpose of life. Yes, you gotta work a job. Yes, you have to love your family, but there is no greater thing in your life than to know Jesus and to make him known. Don't get it confused that you were created to work your job. A job is a good thing. To have a career is a wonderful thing. Work is a pre-fall, a blessing from God. It's a good thing. But God created you to worship him and to make him known. Are we doing that? We don't delegate discipleship. We can't say, no, he'll go. They'll do it. There is no plan B. There is only this plan, that the church be used of God to tell the world of how good he is. So a couple of weeks ago, we left it talking about the three circles. You remember the three circles? We mentioned these circles, and I kind of just went through them really quickly in my really bad penmanship. Uh, I want us to touch those again, just for a moment, okay? And again, I, I am going back a little bit. I am reviewing just a little because it's so important that we know it. In fact, after the first of the year, we're going to offer a six-week uh, training on the three circles, and I hope that you will join us for that. But I want us just to kind of back, go back through these circles really quickly. Number one, you might remember uh, the purpose of this is if you're talking with somebody. Maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and you're saying, you know, you hear from them issues and problems and brokenness and, and you realize that maybe God wants you to share with them who Jesus is. Well, if you sense that the Holy Spirit is moving you to do that, if you sense this, uh, this leading of the Holy Spirit, then be obedient to it. Join God where he's working. And we do these little three circles. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Number one, you just make a circle and you write in there God's design. And you explain, there was a time when everything was perfect. We had a relationship with God. We walked with God. Adam and Eve had it perfect. They, they, they just had this amazing experience until they didn't. <laughs> when they chose to disobey God. And that's when sin came into the picture. You draw this little arrow that says sin. And you and I both know what sin does in our lives because we both experience it. In fact, since that moment that sin entered the world, we've all been affected by it. We've all been ruined by it. This, this past week, during Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day was my mom's 81st birthday, would have been if she was still with us. And my heart grieves and my heart is sad, and I'm, I can't explain all the brokenness inside of me because of it, except for the fact of sin. It shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't have to feel this desperate brokenness in our hearts. And the reason we do is because there's sin in the world that has broken God's original design. And when we live in a, in a place of sinfulness, when we live as sinners, and we, and we do what sin leads us to do, which is to be selfish and unforgiving and unkind and evil in many ways, then we experience brokenness, and you make a circle. And in that brokenness, it leads us to addiction and idolatry and divorce and, and greed, and you name all the different sinful things that we become. And we wonder why we're not happy. We wonder why life isn't working. We wonder why things aren't working out. We hope that they would. 
and we're devastated. Maybe we're in depression and despair. And we can look at that circle and say it's because of brokenness caused by sin. And you say to somebody, this is where I was. This is where I've been. And by God's grace, I learned that I could repent and believe. I could repent of my sins. I could say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I have sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Change my heart. And we believe. It's not enough just to repent. We have to believe, the Bible says. We believe in our hearts that Jesus died on a cross, that in him he has everything needed to give us forgiveness. He gives us his holiness and takes our sinfulness in this great exchange. So you talk about the fact that, yes, we believe and we repent and God changes our hearts because of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Because Jesus was willing to come down to this earth and take my sin, it gives me an opportunity to know him to go to heaven, but not just a ticket to heaven, life and life more abundantly right here, right now. And because of the gospel, now I have the opportunity by the Holy Spirit to begin to recover and pursue this original design of God, to recover that original relationship with God where I don't run and hide anymore. Instead, I know that I'm covered by the grace and mercy, blood of Jesus. And we can walk in relationship and we can understand and we can be loved in love and we can make him known these steps are so important if you're going to use the three circles it's just a gospeling tool and you come to this place where you finish this little diagram and you might say hey where do you see yourself you were talking about your brokenness and some some situations in your life where you see yourself in this diagram and and if they don't know christ the hope is that they would point to brokenness, so they would point to some issue, sinfulness, or some, some place where they are if they haven't trusted Christ. And the hope is that you could lead them to Jesus. But here's the reality, friends. You're gonna get one of three different answers. You're gonna get not interested, okay? Don't, um, don't even go there. I'm not interested, no, <laughs> right? Or you're gonna get, hey, you know what? I, this is interesting, I, I, maybe, I'll, let me consider this. We'll talk again. But hopefully, by God's grace, you'll get some people to say, okay, yeah, what, tell me what I need to do. What is this? I want, I want to know. I want to know Christ. I, I want to be saved. This is the same exact response that uh, the Apostle Paul got. I want you to look over at Acts 17. We've talked about this moment where he's preaching in Athens before in little context. He's preaching to these people who don't know God. They uh, have a lot of idolatry in their lives, and so they, they, the town is full of idols. And so he's using contextually this faith system of idols, and he's saying, I know the, the God that you, you say you know in this idol, the unknown God, you put a name on it. But I know him, and he's preaching. And he comes down to this moment where uh, Paul is being very pointed in his preaching and prophetic. And he says in verse 30 in Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is the judge. He will judge the living and the dead. And God has given him that position. And we, we, he's shown the world because he raised him from the dead. This is the one who will be the judge. Verse 32 says, now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. Verse 33, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Pastor Elvis has got a bunch of handouts. If you, if you didn't get a handout this morning, I'd love for you to have one. Did anybody not get one? Okay, Lawrence and uh, Cheslin. Uh, I want to show you on the back of this handout, I want to show you a little something that as you're talking to people, as you're speaking with people about Jesus, you're going to receive one of these responses. It's going to be a red light, it's going to be a yellow light, or it's going to be a green light, okay? And I want us to look at some of those things. The, yellow, the red light is a no response, of course. I'm not interested. But here's the deal. As soon as somebody says, no, I'm not interested, don't, don't think that that's your opportunity to debate, Oh, well, you're lying. Let's talk about that. Let me show you my apologetics. That's, sometimes that's what we go into. The Holy Spirit leads you to ask a question, follow the Spirit. But we want, we want them to know that they're loved. We're not trying to cram this down their throat. If they say no, you might say something to the, to the effect of, um, listen, I, I'm just glad you listened to me. I appreciate you letting me tell you about this because, honestly, this changed my life. Jesus changed my life, and just, just do this for me. If you get to a place in your life that it feels untenable, un, unmanageable, remember that God loves you. Remember that Jesus died for you. Remember this conversation, and just hand them that napkin. Hand them that diagram and say, maybe you'll keep this and think about it later. And pray for those people. Pray that God would draw their hearts he would move them from a no, from a red light to a green light to receive Jesus. But pray for them. Don't be obnoxious. <laughs> be kind. Be winsome. Be loving. Be caring. One of the responses might be a yellow light. Somebody says, you know what? I, this isn't good information. I appreciate you sharing this with me. I'm not ready today. I, I don't want to do this today. I'm, I don't want to pray this prayer. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't know. I just, I want to think about it. When they do, one of the things that you can say is, hey, let me ask you this question. When's the last time you had a conversation about Jesus or salvation? A lot of times they'll go, mm, uh, it's been a while. And you can say, well, you know what? We don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold because we don't. With COVID or with traffic, there's no telling that we would have another day of life to assume upon. And you just give them that piece of information why would you wait, right? Because the Bible says, I just want to tell you, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You just kind of give them that information. As you mention uh, the situation, you say, listen, listen, if you really don't want to do anything today, just know I'm going to be praying for you, and I'd love to follow back up. I'd love to come back around. I'd love to meet maybe again this week or next week. Or I've got a triad of people that's like a group of three people that that meet and pray together and do a Bible study together and connect and we meet this week, I'd love for you to join us. Follow back up, don't just let it go like, okay, well I did my part, oh well. No, he's saying I'm interested. In fact, I love these statistics. Ed Stetzer says 42 to 61% of non-believers are willing to study the Bible if we ask. 
42 to 61%. And 75% to 89% of non-believers would be willing to listen to someone share their faith. That's a large percentage. So we just have to be faithful to do what God's called us to do, right? And then when you finish, give them the napkin. Here, maybe you won't keep this and think about it. I'll check back with you, and I'll be praying for you and pray for them. Pray that God would move their heart. And of course, the hope is that you would get a green light. The hope is that somebody would say, okay, <laughs> I have been broken. My life is a mess. I have tried it my way for a long time, and it's obviously not working. So yeah, I, I, I want to know about this. Help me to understand. Help me to, to do what I need to do. You got to explain to them that this is not some religious uh, activity. This is not a, a rite, a prayer that you pray that just in the prayer alone does something for you, right? You have to help them understand this is a, a matter of confession of your sin and belief in your heart. That's what Paul says in Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This isn't just some religious thing that you're going to say and all of a sudden some magic thing's going to happen. No. You have to believe in your own heart. You have to believe that Jesus died for you, that, that he can forgive you of your sins, that he can make you new, that he can help you. Do you believe that? And then you even lead them to the gospel. Do you believe that that is true of Jesus? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Do you believe that God can forgive you of your sin? As they say yes, hopefully, then you would just tell them, listen, let's pray. I'll, I'll, you can pray a prayer. And I can tell you some things to pray from this scripture, or I can even lead you in a verse. Some of you are going, oh boy, I don't know, I don't know if I can do it. You can do it. Lead them in a prayer. Lead them through the things that that verse just said, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Would you say that with me? Romans 10, 9, and 10. Say it with me. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Say it again. Romans 10, 9, and 10. We need to know that verse. We need to know how to lead somebody to Jesus. And then as we pray for them, as we tell them what to pray, what to, to speak to the Lord about, confess with your mouth. Just read through the verse. Confess that you're a sinner to the Lord, that, that you need forgiveness, you need him to forgive you, that you believe if you truly do in your heart. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. It's with the heart one believes and is justified, right? That's where, that's where it happens in the belief system of your heart and soul. And with your mouth as you confess, you're saved. So pray and ask the Lord to do those things or I'll lead you in this prayer. Can I just say, we should practice this. We should write it out. I encourage you to leave today and maybe in this afternoon or this week in your quiet time, write out a conversation. Lead somebody to Jesus on a notepad, think through the scriptures, think through what you're gonna say. We need to know this. Can I just tell you, it's not okay for us to be believers in Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and not know how to lead somebody to Jesus. That's not okay. It's not okay, friends. 
for too long we've said it's all about me being a disciple. I just, as long as I learn, if I just show up, if I just, no, God is also sending us to the world and we have to be ready. We have to rehearse it. We have to know what has changed our hearts and lives and what God is showing us and teaching us about how to lead other people to Christ. One of the things I always say after I lead somebody to Jesus, I say, I want you to know the enemy's gonna cause you to doubt this. I mean, it's not gonna be 30 minutes or an hour and, and he's gonna whisper in your ear, you didn't do anything today. And I want you to go back to Romans chapter 10 to verse 13. And I want you to see what it says, because it says, all who call on his name will be saved. All who call on his name will be saved. If you believed in your heart, if you confessed with your mouth, you called to the Lord, we trust his word that we will be saved, right? And, and that way they can have that assurance. I say, remember Romans 10, 13. Remember that verse because when you have a doubt, when you have a struggle and a question, go back to that verse and speak it to the enemy. No, 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 no. The Bible tells me all who call on his name will be saved. That's me. Right? That's you. After prayer, I kind of reiterate, just, hey, I want you to know there's not just some special magical thing and you didn't just, this is not just like a, just your ticket that you punch for heaven. No, this is a decision you've, you've chosen to follow Jesus. This is just the beginning. This isn't like the, the beginning, middle, and the end, and one day you get to go to heaven. This is everything. This is a life transformation. This is change. When I repent, it means I change who I am. I, I stop going my way, and I start going God's way. Everything changes. And the very first thing we do as believers in Jesus is we get baptized. Baptism isn't just sort of like something we do in the church. Hey, that'll be fun. Let's get in the water and say we got baptized. Baptism is important. What we see in the New Testament is when people come to, to know Jesus, they were baptized. It was a symbol of showing that their old life is dead and their new life is risen with Christ. But they're serious about following Christ. And so when we come to know Jesus, it's not like I might do this, I'll, I'll do it later. No, we want to be obedient to Jesus. Lord, I, I, you've saved me and now I want to be obedient. I want to be baptized. That's part of following Christ. I also try to help them understand, listen, we talked about that brokenness in your life. I want you to know that Praying a prayer with no faith and just thinking there's something magical in a little prayer was not going to change that brokenness. But if God has saved your soul, if you truly believe today, if he has truly saved you today, it will change your life forever. I remind them of John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's been doing in your life, stealing and killing and destroying. But Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly. This is not just the ticket to heaven. This is the beginning of an amazing journey where God leads you to an amazing life. Some of you are saying, I don't know if I can do it. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can follow through with all that. Well, you gotta get to the place where you are okay. Right? I'll never forget, Lori and I were on vacation one time in, in uh, Mexico and we were in Cozumel, and it, we went to one of those diving schools, you know. The, it's not the safest thing in the world, I don't think, but we wanted to go diving, scuba diving. 
And so we went to a class for a couple hours and we learned to be scuba divers, sort of. Uh, and then we, we walked into the beach with scuba gear on and began to, you know, um, scuba dive. And then we got on a boat and went out to the deep and started scuba diving. And I was so excited, you know, I'm kind of an all-in kind of guy. I'm kind of an early adopter. Let's go. And that's kind of my attitude with scuba. So I got out of the water, and there's a little button you have on your thing. I don't even know what it's called. That's how great of a scuba diver I am. Uh, you push the button, and it makes you go down. Because you have so much weight on your body, you just you go down. And the, uh, releases air, and you, your body goes down. Well, I'm going down like a lead weight. And then all of a sudden, I push another button, and I go up. This is fun. I'm going down. Woo! I'm going up, and the guy swims over to me. He's like, mm, mm, mm. like, you're not supposed to do that. It's bad for you. Well, I didn't know what I was doing, right? But over the next few hours, as we're scuba diving, and we're having fun, and we're talking, and we're, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better, and I'm understanding what I'm doing. It's the same thing. I looked like an idiot in the beginning. And I was. I was doing something that wasn't smart, right? It took a while to kind of get the hang of it, just like anything else in your life. At first, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel strange. You're going to uh, be scared. I'm so proud of my friend Adam Brown. If you don't know Adam, he's an amazing dude. He's right here. Uh, and I love him very much. He's one of my good friends. We're in a triad together and we uh, with Leslie Willis and we were talking about in our triad this three circles thing. And Adam told me, he was like, hey, I, I, we, I did the three circles. I was like, tell me about it. He said he was, there was a guy at work who, who had a, a cancer diagnosis and it, it didn't look good and he wanted to share the three circles with him. So he goes into his office and, and he said it felt like, you know, when I started to say I wanted to share something, it's kind of like the roller coaster at the top of the thing. And you go, here I go, I'm, I'm going for it, you know. And he said he drew the God's design and he's sharing and He's getting through it, and he draws sin, and he's drawing brokenness, and the guy stops him and says, Adam, I, I'm saved. I came to know Jesus a while back. And Adam goes, oh, thank God. <laughs> and I love it because Adam was going for it. You know, he hadn't done it a whole lot. It had been a ton of times that he's tried to do this and tried to share with somebody, but he was going for it. He was taking this responsibility that God, he is a representative of Jesus Christ, that God has given him a ministry and a message of reconciliation, and he was taking that to the world. Proud of you, man. That's awesome. And I hope that we can learn to do that. I, I just think it's a funny story as he uh, realizes, he, you know, he's learning. There's still, there's still a level of discomfort there and, and struggle and learning. And we get through that as we do it over and over again. I want to say this is, this is what we have to do. We, we have to commit some things to memory. We have to get serious about what it means to lead somebody to Christ. And we have to practice it. I'll never forget my mom teaching me piano, taking me to piano teachers. And I hated practice. Oh. And she would just kind of usher me back into the room. And, uh, practice. And I would practice my thing, my scales, and I'd practice my sheet music. And before long, I began to get it, right? The, Practice makes perfect, that's what they would always say. I'm not sure there's ever a perfect gospel demonstration or a gospel conversation because who knows how it's gonna go? Who knows what response you're gonna get? Who knows what issues that person has been through? But here's the deal, 
you're not responsible for the outcome. You're only responsible to tell the story. We don't worry about how it's going to end up. We just say, can I just share? I just want to share with you and, and, and leave that to the Lord. Trust that he is the one that will lead them or not. Some of us are so worried about it. I don't know enough. I'm not ready. I love this verse in Acts 4.13. Sanhedrin, uh, the disciples are before the Sanhedrin, and it says this, Luke says in verse 13, chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, common fishermen And they were astonished. How can they know this stuff? How can they be speaking with such confidence? How in the world have they explained this to us? And the only answer they could come up with was the fact that they had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Do you know him? Have you experienced his grace? That is the only qualifier to being a witness for Jesus. Have you been with him? Do you know him? Tell the world about what you've experienced in him. You know, I've said this before, but people cannot argue with the miracle of a changed life. They can't do it. This happens to happen in the very next verse, Acts 4, 14. It says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14 But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Here's Peter and John, the fishermen, but speaking with what such confidence and boldness, and yet standing next to them, here's a guy with a smile on his face. They recognize him because they saw him every day as the crippled man at the gate. And they want to argue the point, but they can't because the man is healed. You can't argue with the power of a changed life. You can't. And they couldn't. They had nothing to say in opposition. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you might need some other uh, education, some other thing to lead people to Jesus other than your testimony. Yes, we have tools. Yes, there are some processes and some Verses that we need to learn and understand, but your story is so powerful. Share your story of grace. David Platt says, what fueled the exponential and explosive growth of Christianity in the first century was how ordinary people spoke of the gospel to everyone they knew. They didn't need seminary degrees, denominational backing, or all the answers. These early believers had gospel conversations every single day. You have what you need, but can I just tell you, you're going to hear me say a a phrase over the next several months. And that phrase, two-word phrase is gospel saturation. You know what it means to be saturated? You ever been caught in a downpour? (laughs) And you can't get in, you can't get in your car, you can't get in the house, and you're saturated. Right? You're just permeated with, with water all over your body. You're just drenched. That's what we hope to have happen in central Arkansas with the gospel. That the, the gospel is all around us. 
The only way to make that happen is if we have gospel conversations. The only way for that to happen is for the Lord to to use the whole body of Christ. We're not just it, right? There's a, a whole lot of people around central Arkansas who know Jesus. And as they have gospel conversations and we have gospel conversations, we're praying for gospel saturation. You know, in marketing, they say it takes seven impressions for someone to finally buy a product. You see it on a billboard, you see it on Facebook, you see it in a magazine, and you finally go, oh, I think I need that perfume, or oh, I need that bag, or whatever the case may be. I don't know how many times it takes to hear the gospel to finally trust the Lord, for the Lord to lead somebody. But I just know we just need to keep having these conversations until we see gospel saturation. Until we see our community filled with the love of Jesus. A few years ago, uh, when I was at Fellowship, uh, they had a study done of how many people, un- unchurched and lost people, were in central Arkansas. And the number they came up with was 600,000. In all of central Arkansas, 600,000 people who were unchurched, who didn't know the Lord. I hear that number, and I, I literally I start to feel overwhelmed. But what if we didn't focus on that number? What if we just focused on our own obedience? What if we didn't focus on the greatness of that number and the need there, but we just said, Lord, you call me to be obedient and to be faithful, that's what I'm gonna be. My family, that's what we're gonna be. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will make you known. We will have these conversations. We will be led by you to see you move in the lives of people. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul, how much harder he had it than we did. It was almost impossible to get to places. You're walking everywhere. You might get lucky and ride on a horse. But you get on a ship, and you know what's happened in many of the ships that Paul was on, right? Many shipwrecks, not to mention his persecution, his opposition. And in the places he was going, there was no understanding for the most part of God. A few people in the synagogue had some understanding of God. But for the most part, to the Gentile world, they did not know God. And I want to show you a verse that is shocking. Acts 19.10. It's one of those summary verses. It says this. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let me give you context to, to what this was that was happening. Paul's in Ephesus. He had preached in the, in the synagogue for three months. And then he started teaching his to say after he left the synagogue, he started teaching those who would want to be, to be taught in the hall of Tyrannus. You remember that from the Acts series? So he's teaching in the hall of Tyrannus, making disciples. People are becoming missionaries. Churches are being started. And then we go to Acts 19.10. After two years of this discipleship, All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What if that was Little Rock? Can you imagine, just go there in your mind, can you imagine if we could say all the residents of central Arkansas heard the word of the Lord? Don't we have more communication methods? Isn't it easier to get from place to place? Aren't there more people who have an understanding of who God is? Maybe we need to begin to pray that way. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak 
And sometimes I think we don't pray enough, even those big prayers like, Lord, would you help us to see a disciple-making movement happen at South City Church? Would you help us, Lord, to have a disciple-making movement, four generations and more, happen in my neighborhood, happen in my family, happen at work, happen in Little Rock, happen in Central Arkansas? God, would you move in such a way that all the residents of Little Rock would hear the word of the Lord? Can we begin to pray that way? That he would give us courage to be intentional with the gospel of Jesus to people who don't know him. I want to mention two last things before we go. Uh, They're on your sheet. Three hinges that are important when you're sharing your faith. First one is that transition statement. When you're talking to somebody and they share with you some brokenness and you transition that moment to a gospel opportunity. I'm sorry you've walked through that. I'm sorry you're facing that. I haven't necessarily dealt with that exact thing, but I have been through some brokenness. Can I share something that has helped me? The transition statement is important. A gospeling tool like three circles is important to lead somebody in a diagram or an understanding of what salvation is in the gospel. And then lastly, this invitation. Where do you see yourself on this diagram? Where, where do you see yourself right now? How's, how's that working for you? You're living for the way that you, you've wanted to live your whole life. How's that working for you? Why not try Jesus? Why not trust Jesus? And then just being blunt. What's keeping you? Right now, what's keeping you from repenting and believing that Jesus is the Lord? What's keeping you from doing that right now? And you might be surprised at how many people will say, nothing, I guess. People are going to give you a red light, a yellow light, or a green light. But with each one, we can pray. With each one, we can follow up. With each one, we can hand them the three circles. I've put a little diagram here on your sheet as we close. Ten steps to living missionally. Everybody take a look at that real quick if you got it. Very simple. As the Holy Spirit leads you, as you see these opportune moments to insert the gospel If the Spirit of God leads you to do that, follow him. Join him where he's at work. But you have to make that choice. You have to make the choice to follow him. You have to say, okay, Lord, you have to shoot up that prayer like Nehemiah did. Lord, help me as I go, (laughs) like Adam did. Lord, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Help me. You have to choose to follow. Have an awareness of these opportunities. Somebody said, have your antennas up. I love that. Be thinking about, okay, where's a missional opportunity? Where, where, where can I move in this way? Join God where he's working. The Ethiopian was reading scripture. Philip recognized it. Did a transition statement. Paul got an opportunity to preach in the Areopagus. Uh, Peter got the opportunity to share Christ in Cornelius' home. Be sensitive, though. Contextualize the moment. Right? Don't force your way. Be winsome, loving. Engage with people. Transition. Invite them to follow Jesus. Leave the results up to the Lord. Follow up. Keep checking back. Keep, keep, keep asking questions. Hey, would you, can we have coffee again? I'd love to keep that conversation going. 
And then lastly, if somebody comes to know Christ, disciple them. Jesus didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. And that's not easy. But in the next few weeks, I want to give you some ideas of how to do that. How you can become more of a disciple and how we can lead other people uh, to be a disciple in Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for the grace of Jesus that changes us and gives us life. God, thank you for the privilege that you would entrust to us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Because you want to reconcile the world to yourself. You love them, Lord. You want them to know you, and you've entrusted the church with this mystery, with this beauty of this message. We're to represent you, Lord. We're to, we're to plead if need be. We implore you to be reconciled to Christ. God, for far too long we've made the church about what we can learn today if we learn anything. We leave here, is there anything that's gonna stay in our hearts? Is there anything gonna stay in our minds? Is there anything that's gonna change who we are and who we become? Or have we just done church? Have we just checked a box and now we could go on the rest of our day and the rest of our week? God, may it not be You've not called us just to be disciples, to soak up, but rivers of living water that send out. It's our responsibility to be disciples who make disciples, fishers of men. Lord, would you burden our hearts for people who need you? Teach us your ways. Teach us these methods and these scriptures to make you known. Give us boldness, Lord, we pray as the believers in Acts 4 prayed. Give us boldness, Lord, to go and be your witness in this world. And we pray for that disciple-making movement to happen, not out there, but in here, Jesus. In our children, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at work, in our communities, in our city, in our state, and all over the world. Help us, Lord, to see the brokenness of the world, to know that we hold the solution, and his name is Jesus, and give us the courage to make him known. We lay down our lives, we lay down our fears, we lay down our excuses now in the name of Jesus. And we pray this for your glory.